Uh, I am so pumped. We are at episode four uh, of our series in the big picture. And last week, God chose a people group. He committed himself to this people group by a covenant, by a contract. And so he's locked in. And the nature of the covenant, the agreement with his people, had echoes of God's relationship with Adam. So if you can flick forward for us, Caleb. Sorry, the clicker, I do not know why it's not working, but Caleb's just going to be my able assistant uh, tonight. Um, he's done this, and click forward again to get to the Bible bit. He says, go to a land that I will show you, this promised land of Israel. I'll make you into a great nation, and I'll bless you. So there's this place where God wants to bless a chosen people with the end goal, and not just a goal, a promise, that he is going to extend that Eden blessing across the whole world, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, he doesn't rule out trouble, because you notice that little bit in the middle there? Whoever curses you, I will curse. Oh, kind of, there's the potential there for something to not go well, isn't there? But he does tell Abram, Abraham why some of these bad things will happen. So he says this, flick forward to the next passage, Genesis 15. So keep, keep coming, keep coming. Um, he says there, Know for certain that for 400 years, your descendants will be strangers, refugees, in a country not their own, and that they'll be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation that they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. It's interesting. Not really part of your plan, if it's a glorious plan to be a refugee, but this is what God's got for his people. To use this difficult and negative experience to forge them into a nation that he's promising that they will become. So, hardship, but there's a lot of hope. A lot of hope. Now, in time, as we move on, Abraham has kids and so on, grandsons, great-grandsons, and Abraham's great-grandson is sold into slavery in Egypt, flick forward for us, Caleb, uh, by some jealous brothers. His name is Joseph, and Joseph's brothers want him to suffer. And yet... God uses that very desire to make Joseph into the prime minister of Egypt. It's a rapid political rise. And then he uses that to store up Egypt's excess food and save not just Egypt, but save the whole world from a seven-year famine, bringing good from evil. In a lot of ways, this actually already fulfills God's contract with Abraham. It's like a mini version of, well, I don't know why I say mini. He saved the whole world. The whole world gets blessed through Abraham's family. God's leader, Joseph, is too, I see, of the place where God is providing food for all humanity. That sounds like Eden again, without him being too, I see, to God, place where all humanity is provided for. It's beautiful. Flick forward. Yeah, thank you. But time moves on, something pops up. Yeah, Caleb, that's, I, I, this, this, this you being assertive and just like flicking forward when you know it's right, I like that. That's good. It's a good man. Time moves on, something pops up. God's lack of memory. And it turns this Edenic scene into an anti-Eden. You see, God doesn't remember the covenant with Abraham or Joseph's world saving. So when the Israelites are fruitful and grow in numbers and prosperity, he actually gets insecure. He's scared that they might seize power of the realm. So he takes away their freedom and he, in fact, orders not life but death, every male baby to be killed. Now, actually, I'm actually talking about a different God for that last bit. I hope you were feeling a little uncomfortable there. I hope you were hoping that I was making a mistake. Because it didn't sound like the God that we've met through the Bible so far, does it? Insecure, bringing death. It was actually about a man. This is a man who called himself God in Egypt. 
Pharaoh. That's who he was in their culture. You see, that bit of the covenant, this one bit of the covenant, is still, well, at least one, is still unfulfilled. God's people, they're not in God's place. They're in Pharaoh's place. And, and Pharaoh has the opposite intention of the God of Abraham. God multiplies life. That's what he's been doing. Pharaoh kills. Pharaoh's insecure about losing power to God's people. What has God been doing to humanity? Handing over power to them, that they would be made in his image, that they would rule the world. He's not insecure about it. And so you can see why the Bible scholars call the Egyptian slavery an anti-Eden. So if you can flick through forward, you see how it's not, not so much Eden anymore. It's just dark, and then there's death and more death as you flick forward. And it's just, you know, it's, it's all about retaining control via killing. This is, this is Israel and Eden. But the thing is, they keep being fruitful. Like the Rebel Alliance, the more you try and squash them, the more they pop up everywhere, despite Pharaoh's best efforts. If you really like a good midwife story, some people like good midwife stories, this is a good one. Chapter 2. Go home, read chapter 2 of Exodus. It's brilliant uh, as a bedtime read. But in chapter 3, even as Pharaoh is trying to kill, the Hebrews flourish. More life just happens. They just, they just keep having kids. It's like they go to Seoul or something, you know? Like there's just more and more kids and life wins. The more they flourish though, the more fearful and secure Pharaoh gets. You see the reciprocity. This is escalating. And the more he tries to grind them into the dust and their slavery, their quota of bricks gets harder and harder. And so what do you do when you're getting squeezed? And you get hurt. You yell. Ouch. And you cry out. And that's what happens. And God hears them. He remembers his promise, his covenant with them. Not that he'd forgotten it. He's not a short-memoried like the Egyptian dynasty. He calls to mind his plan to bless the whole world through his people. And he sees that, yes, now is the time. They've been through the hard time. It's forged them into a nation. And now we're going to action the plan. And so we hit chapter 3 of Exodus. God appears to someone. This is Moses. This is the guy who was curious about the burning bush. We just had Matt read out to us. Now Moses is an Israelite. He's one of the descendants of Abraham. But he gets saved as a baby from Pharaoh's ethnic cleansing regime by the princess of Egypt, one of Pharaoh's household. So he gets raised in the royal palace as an Egyptian, as a prince of Egypt. But then one day, sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew slave, remembers his heritage, feels in his gut his heritage, forgets his position and murders the Egyptian who was beating up his fellow Hebrew. You see, flick forward, this Moses, he's a killer. You know, holy Moses in like beautiful stained glass windows and things. Oh, he's a murderer. Next day, Moses sees a couple of Hebrews fighting among themselves and you can sort of imagine he's actually starting to feel like, no, I need to take action for my people. But here he decides to try and break up this fight between two of his brothers. But of course, he's neither from one world nor the other, really, is he? And you can tell that this guy cares about the state of his birth tribe, but the, the guys who are fighting are a little more cynical about this rich Egyptian Hebrew, you know, who, who hasn't worked a day in his life while they're in the you know, mud brick pits, breaking their backs in slavery. You're going to tell us what to do now, are you? Oh, really? Rich boy. Oh, you've come down to the pits now, have you? What are you going to do if we don't listen to you? You're going to kill us like you killed the Egyptian the other day? Ooh, words got out. Moses 
Moses is busted. Someone knows. And so he just runs, runs, leaves Egypt to escape, goes to Moab, finds a girl, gets married, become a shepherd. You know, classic old school stuff is what you do. And, and to this man, this guy, God says, I've heard their cries. I'm going to rescue them. And you're my man. You're going to go and you are going to do this. You're going to go to Pharaoh. Now, from the story we've just heard, right, there are so many problems with this. He's a known murderer. Pharaoh knows him. They grew up in the same house, right? And not only that, I mean, he's tried this already. He's tried standing up for his people. They're not that interested in the rich kid who's never worked a day in his life pretending that he's going to help the slaves. Heck, those two guys are probably the ones who told the Egyptians what he'd done. And so he tells God, look forward to the the next verse, he says, look, I'm not the guy. I'm not the guy, verse 11. I can't do this. Pharaoh hates me. Well, in fact, this is the thing. He doesn't say, Pharaoh hates me, they hate me, I don't want to do it. He says in verse 11, I'm just not the guy. Now, God reassures him, it's okay, verse 12, I will be with you. And Moses is like, well, what if they say which God sent you? What's his name? Like, oh, like, like, I'm just, you're a burning bush right now, really? Like, who are you? I need a bit more than that. And God does something very, very special here. He doesn't say to Moses, oh, ye of little faith. He says, okay, I'm going to reveal something personal to you. I'm going to let you know who I really am. And he reveals to Moses his personal name in verse 14. Yahweh. Normally in your Bible, L-O-R-D, all capitals, is the personal name of God. You see, God isn't God's name. God is the kind of being that God is. I'm a human. Yahweh is a God. Yahweh is his name, just as my name is Peter. And his name means I am. Like, I just am. Like, being is my thing. I generate my own being. No one causes me to be. I just am. And anything else that is... That comes from me. That's who I am, he says. So this is a bit of a reveal from God. But he also identifies himself as the God, not just of I am the source of all all existence, but I'm the God that's come within this story. I'm the God of your forefathers. You should know me. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, you remember those names? Yeah, I walked with them. I'm that God. You exist because I called them your great-granddaddy. He gives gives, uh, uh, Moses his full credit history in terms of his connection with Israel. God is giving Moses everything that he needs. But it's not quite enough for Moses, and kind of you can understand it given his position. What if they don't believe me? He says next. Yep, got that covered. Uh, chapter 4, verses 2 to 3, that should be one of the verses coming up. Caleb um, says, yep, got that covered. I am going to give you the power to do a miracle. Right? They don't believe it, you're going to rock up and do something that's impossible for anyone to do. That should do the trick. But if it doesn't, flick forward to the next verse, just in case, got another miracle. So I'm giving you two. Okay? That will do the trick. They'll believe you then. And Moses is still not convinced. I love, I lo- I love this verse. Um, Moses argues quite eloquently. I think it's in verse 10. I don't know if I got it on the slides. But he argues quite eloquently that he's not eloquent enough for the job. It's really, really beautiful. Like It's almost poetic, this verse, where he says, look, I've, never, I've, I've always been slow of speech, and neither now nor in the future, will, will, you know, or in the past, have I ever been able to speak well? <laughs> so beautifully arguing against his own case. Because the thing is, Moses has got a royal Egyptian education. 
if you're looking for a candidate out of the Hebrews to maybe be able to do a bit of leading, a little bit of administration of a nation maybe, he's the only one remotely qualified. Now, interestingly, when Moses is saying, hey, look, I'm not the guy for the job, and this is this blindingly obvious reason why he is, God doesn't point that out. God doesn't go there. He doesn't say, well, look, humanly speaking, look, you've got all the qualifications. He says something different. He actually says, I'll be with you. I'll be with you. I'll give you the words to speak. He doesn't say, Moses, you're good enough. You're fine. You'll do a great job. It's okay. You're going to do a great job. You're great. No, he says, me being with you will be enough for you. That's what's going to make this work. Have you ever sort of just stopped and had that moment where you realize the difference between self-confidence and believing you can do it? And knowing that you just are who you are, but God being with you is what makes it okay? This is Moses' moment like that. And yet, Moses just doesn't trust God that it will work out. He says, no, get someone else. He has protested five times, and five times God has patiently said, yeah, I totally, I get it. I understand. Like, it makes sense that you'd feel like this. Here's the answer to your question. And, this, and Moses just says, no. And it's not until that point, the anger of Yahweh was kindled against Moses. When, God, when Moses refuses God's good provision, I'm giving you all the good stuff, Moses. No anger when he's expressing doubts. Gentleness and kindness when he's you know, sharing his inadequacies. But when he says, God, I just will not trust in the things that you're offering to provide for me, there's some friction in the relationship. But in the end, in the end, look, fair play to Moses. Moses goes. Our killer goes to face the music and begins this, this dance with Pharaoh. I, 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 sort of, I don't know if it's exactly right, but I do love the Prince of Egypt, sort of like Moses and, and, and Pharaoh growing up as brothers and then sort of like almost coming back with all of the brotherly kind of little bits of hatred and rivalry stuff going. I feel like that's kind of hinted at in the Bible. They did a pretty good job there because there is this rivalry here between Pharaoh and God and the Hebrew slaves and Moses stuck right in the middle. Getting squashed by everyone. Moses telling Pharaoh, hey, let Israel go to worship their God. Pharaoh refusing. God bringing a plague against Egypt as a warning. Let my people go. Then more confrontation between God and Pharaoh. And Pharaoh saying, no, I won't. And then Pharaoh lashing out at the Israelites more and more. And then the Israelites lashing out at Moses. What are you doing? We didn't ask you to do this. We didn't want you to save us. Yeah, nice try trying to save us. You're making life worse for us. And this escalates and escalates and escalates and escalates. Darkness, flies, frogs, gnats, boils, hail, conflict between all parties. Moses, I'm pretty sure this guy lifespan was reduced by this experience. If you've been through a period of protracted stress, you will understand. And yet it's like God's deliberately cooking this up. Ten is a lot of plagues. He could have gone straight to plague ten. What's he doing? Well, it does finally culminate in the tenth plague. God, ever the life giver, trying every other means of persuasion, finally says... To Pharaoh, if it's death that you're hell-bent on, it's death that you'll get. And he sends words to the Israelites. Uh, Exodus 11.4. About midnight, I'll go through Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die. From the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the female slave who is at her handmill, And all the firstborn of the cattle as well. 
There'll be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there has ever been or ever will be again. But among the Israelites, not a dog will bark at a person or animal. No harm will come to them. Then Exodus 12, flip to the next one for us. If you can get there, thank you. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once. Now, this is what you've got to do. Select the animals for your families. You need to slaughter a Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, makeshift paintbrush. Dip it into the blood in the basin and put some of the blood on the top and both sides of the door frame. None of you are going to go out the door of your house until morning. Don't do it. Because when the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and sides of the door frame and he will pass over that doorway and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down this becomes the 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 famous passover meal lamb unleavened bread jesus observed this ritual the ritual that from this moment onwards will celebrate israel's escape from egypt and celebrate their birth as a nation see in our story the guy has come to rescue the girl here right he, he, he has rescued them from this external bad guy. And so they start the journey. This is, this is good. This is a little scuffle between the hero and the antagonist, and the hero wins, and it looks like he's getting a date with the girl. They're starting the journey. And they go together across the Red Sea to Mount Sinai. Get some sort of geographical details up for us there, Caleb. We'll see if we can show the, the progress of things. Keep moving forward. We'll see get to some geography somewhere. Oh, okay, stop there, stop there. We're getting there in a second. See, the, um, they start this journey to Mount Sinai, the place where Moses saw the burning bush, right? Now, there's actually been a few mountains. Has anyone noticed there's been a lot of mountains that sort of seem to matter as locations so far through the Bible? Well, I just want to pull some of them together for you in a cool little diagram. I think it's cool anyway. See if it helps you. Um, so if you flick forward, the, the first mountain is actually Eden, because all rivers flow, headwaters flow from it, right? So it's, it's, it's high ground. It's the top of a mountain. And that's where you go to be close to the heavens, where you meet with God. Um, God meets people on mountaintops. That's sort of what he does. Um, which, as you go forward, uh, this is where Moses comes to rest, and then he sacrifices to God and connects with God, and God comes down and speaks to him. Actually, he makes a covenant with Moses as well. We just had to skip it because it's not, and don't have time to cover everything. Um, then as we go forward to the next one, we got to Babel, and people wanted to connect with God, built a man-made mountain that God had to actually come down out of heaven to even see, and they were trying to connect with God but we're unable. As we move forward again, now we get to Mount Sinai where God has actually invited his people back now to his special mountain to covenant with them, to be, talk to them, to make, to make a treaty with them. I've rescued you, he says. I've adopted you as my own son. So now how are we going to live together? How's this going to work? I've saved you from the bad guy. I've made everything good, but last time the relationship didn't go so good. What are we going to do? How are we going to live together? What's the relationship going to look like? And that's actually what the Ten Commandments are all about and what they start with. 
It's like it's it's like a it's actually this is an ancient Near Eastern kind of thing. Uh, if a great king liberated a um, a land from some bu- other bully kings who were going around it, he would offer a treaty to to make a, a covenant with them and say, right, okay, if they come back, I'll come and beat them up again. But let's let's make an arrangement. So you guys, you're going to honour me as your great king because you know like, I saved you, I rescued you. Give me some give me some credit, and I in turn will protect you. I'll be your great king. And the, the, uh, the law of Israel actually follows exactly the same format as an ancient great king treaty when he's actually rescued someone, which is kind of what the purpose of this is, right? The Ten Commandments, if you flick forward to the, uh, Exodus 24, Caleb, thank you, um, they are actually God's way of saying, I've rescued you. This is not so much rules as your constitution, who you are. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this, oh, hold on, um... Can we get, is there Exodus 21 to 3 there? I might have it fit further up. Oh, I must have put in 12 instead of, instead of 20. If you, can, if you can flick, get us Exodus 20, that's great, but it's, that's okay if you can't. Um, I, I hope that you guys, some of you guys have it in your head anyway. Behold, I am Yahweh. You want to know who I am? That's who I am. Your God who led you up out of the land of Egypt. Don't have any other gods but me. I'm your king now. I rescued you. I'm the guy. Don't cheat on me. This is who you are. This is who I am. This is who we are together. I'm taking you to live with me again in the, in the garden of Canaan this time. And if we're going to live together, this is how it's going to have to be. There's some ground rules. Rule number one, I'm, I'm the guy with you. Stick with me. Trust me. Look what I did for you. I'm your rescuer. Egypt, is the, 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 they're the heavy hitters. They're the, they're the world power. Pyramids and the lot. These guys are these guys are, are impressive, and, and I've just just humbled the greatest man in the in the world. Stick with me, I got you. Now, how this negotiate, how this relationship gets negotiated in this treaty is something we'll we'll sort of see unfolding next week, and we'll we'll look at it and how it works. But for now, there's something new. You see, God says, "I'm going to go with you." Now, He's not saying not you, okay. You came up to the mountain to me, great. Now he's actually saying, I've got my own tent. I'm camping with you guys. So flick forward to the next mountain diagram for us. I'm coming down to your level so that I can guide you in the journey. Pillar of cloud by day, I'm going to lead you and you guys follow me. Pillar of fire by night. And when we stop, we're all going to stop together and I'm going to, my, my presence is going to come down, be in the tent. I'm going to tent with you. Not only that, I'm going to provide food for you in the wilderness every day. Your, your shoes aren't going to wear out for 40 years. Now, can I just say, I've just been to Rebel Sport again, and uh, like that is a good promise. Like, sort of manner in the wilderness, okay, that's not too bad. But like, not having to go to Rebel to buy another pair of kids' shoes, amen. God, I'm in. Like, that, that would have me, okay? All you have to do every day is walk out the door and pick up the food. I'm going to be with you as we journey together. It's not quite them moving in together, more like a caravanning trip around Australia together. Except there are some strange arrangements for the living area. Now, when you move house, those of you who uh, have moved house, I'm assuming this is most of us, uh, when you're a kid particularly, this is very important. Who gets which room? Right? This has caused some fights. This has caused some struggles. For us, it really matters, which is hilarious because all of our kids are like, which, which room? Which And then they all end up in the same room anyway. They just can't bear to be apart in the end. So firstly, God says, there's a couple of house rules. There's a couple of rules about where you get to be in my tent. If you can flick forward, there is a tabernacle diagram sort of one there somewhere. You've got to be clean. Now, we've got that one. 
<laughs> you, uh, you come in the tent, you've got to take off your shoes before you get in the tent. But, but God says, no, 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 you need to ritually wash yourself. You see, I want you, I want you to understand that when you come to be with me, this is an important thing. You don't just treat me like anyone else. You're not okay to just walk into my presence dirty as you are. Come as you are with me. Uh, I'll go back from that one just yet. <laughs> there, are, there are rituals before entering. And secondly, God has chosen his room. You see there, there's sort of uh, two spaces, the larger one, the holy place. But the back room, God says, no, that's my room. It's called the holy, holy place. And does anyone have, does anyone know? Some of you, I'm surely someone here knows. Does anyone know what's stitched into the curtain between the two rooms? There's, there's a big curtain that's always there between the two rooms. And there's something stitched all through it. Does anyone know what it is? Cherubim. Flaming, fiery cherubim. Now, remember we're in the big picture story. What, where was the last time we saw flaming, fiery cherubim? Guarding Eden. That's right. Is that what you were going to say, Reggie? Burning bush. Well, yeah, that's right. So there's this divineness about it. Yeah, we know we've got something godlike here when we've got that, that burningness. That is a re- that's a good observation. Keep, keep, keep looking for those little similarities as we go through, Reggie. Well done. Um, and, and the last time we saw a, this particular kind of fiery being, yeah, he, he, he's, he's God's bouncer. Sorry, mate. Not, not with that on your conscience. You can't come in here. Sorry. No one can come in. It, it is like now you can go to the, uh, the, uh, the Gandalf one. Um, <laughs> You can't come into my room. My kids, I, I didn't get a photo of it before it got taken down, but that was just my fault because it, it was up there for yonks, like a year. No adults allowed. Stuck on the door of their room, right? Yeah, that, 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 that's a very selective when they want that to be true. <laughs> yeah, you, you've had it on a lot of doors, that one. Um, and and there's, this, there's this, this thing where, where like Eden, God puts an angel with a flaming sword saying, sorry, no, with that on your conscience, you're not, you're not, you're not coming in here. I'm, I'm gonna, I want to be with you. I'm, I'm going to make this work. But there's got to be some boundaries here because with your hearts, something needs to happen. There needs to be blood sacrifice before we can really engage, before it can be very real that actually the, the way you've treated me has been dealt with, has been atoned with. So only the high priest goes in there, and he only goes in there once a year. And when God's in the tent, well, well, um, is the Exodus 40 passage in your, somewhere there? Exodus 40, verses 33 to 35. If it's not, I'll just uh, grab it and read it out to you. Sorry, I've had some fun with the tech today. We, we got that one? No, we don't have one. Thank you. Um, this is essentially the very end of the book of Exodus. So we covered a whole book today. We did pretty good. We're slowly speeding up, all right? <laughs> Moses set up the courtyard around the tabernacle and the altar and put up the curtain of the entrance to the courtyard, and so Moses finished the work. The tent is done. Then what happens? The cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. See, they couldn't get in. It's kind of exciting. You think, this is cool. Like, have you ever wanted a visible presence of God to enter your house? Like, I've really, I, I would love a visual representation of God. I'd love to feel like supernaturally I can see something that my dumb natural eyes can see. Whoa, there is God right there. And yet, 
there, while there is God right there, is God being present, and yet you can't be that close. It's good. I want to be with you, he says. But just the last verse makes you think, oh, but it just hurts a little bit that it's not as close as it should be. What do we take away from this? Um, you have to us forward to the first one. In this story, um, the, the identity of the Hebrew nation is forged here. That, that constitution is not just who you are as a nation, it's who you are as people. I, I, you, you hear this all through the rest of the story. Hey, do you want to know who I am? Remember who I am? I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. I, I, I'm, I, that's who you are. You're, you're adopted by me. This is your identity. We're married now. We're together. This is, it's not just that I've asked you to come and help me save the world. Like I've, 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 I've redeemed you. I've rescued you. This is your soul. Your soul is, is mine because I've, you're, you belong to me. We've, we've, had this, we've been through this experience together. Uh, uh, I think there's, I'm pretty sure I do have this one. Um, the, uh, the beginning of days in, in Exodus 12.2. At the Passover... God said, you, you need to wipe time. This is, going to be, this is zero AD for you. Obviously, well before, well before the actual zero AD. This is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. This is the beginning of days. This is the start of a new life for you. This is who you are. And when, if, you're, if you're someone here who knows Jesus, when God did that for you, whether it, was, whether it was something that he did for you when you were born, because you were born into a Christian household and you were raised into this, or whether this was a, 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 a thing that you, later in life you experienced with great dra- dramatic change, that is the beginning of days for you. That's the start of your real life. That's when you became who you are. Your identity is different. It's your beginning of days. That's your story. Second one is that God wins. God wins. Egypt is really scary. Your life, there's things, are there things that you're scared of? Are there people who, when they're around you, act differently because, you know, they're quite influential on you? God wins. He defeats the scary ones. And that's the point. The point of the drama, the point of the escalation of the suffering, the point of all of that is so that there would be a point in time when God could point back to you and say, hey, do you trust me to deal with your boss? Do you trust me to deal with this person who's mistreating you? Do you trust me that when the Philistines come tomorrow night and you know they're coming, you, you know that they're on the march towards you, you've seen the, the torches in the distance and they're going to come and you're scared they're going to beat you up and they're going to take your stuff and they're going to hurt your mum. Do you trust that this invisible God can do something to stop the bunch of big, scary, smelly, strong men who are stronger than you and uglier than you and more tattoos than you? Because that's when it's real. And God wanted to demonstrate, I've beat the biggest guy on the block. Do you understand? I am it's not, this is not a religious pronunciation. This is a schoolyard pronunciation. I am Yahweh who's beaten up the biggest guy in the schoolyard and I'm on your side. Will you trust me? And it's the same for us. We've just got different horizons, different things that we're scared of. God wins. He's capable. Lastly, this one's tricky. God's plan seems to include suffering, even innocent suffering. And we see that through Exodus so much. You remember Joseph who saved the world from famine, right? 
His life was awful. He was sold into slavery by his brothers. He went through hell before he brought everyone else back to Eden. And God allowed it to free the world in a famine, to feed the world in a famine. Did you feel pain at Israel suffering in slavery and feel like, hold on, but why didn't God rescue them earlier? Why did God allow it? He didn't prevent it. In fact, he let the conflict escalate and let them hurt harder so that in the end his people would trust him more. You see, this God, his determination to bless seems to go beyond just Sacker and I can't let them experience anything not I can't let them experience anything negative. They are going to grow and mature when it serves the purpose of bringing long-term blessing. God isn't scared of suffering. And he does use the hurt of his people. He's not as quick to avoid discomfort as we are. And if we're going to stop and think, hold on, what could be our blind spot in the 21st century of convenience and comfort, and as soon as I feel a little bit of discomfort, I've got a YouTube video to distract me. It'll be this, won't it? That will avoid discomfort. And we won't be able to imagine that discomfort could ever be okay because it's just not our habit. But God will use it for his glory. He'll use suffering for his people's blessing. People's blessing. Uh, as Joseph says to his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good and for the saving of many lives. So he used his people's suffering, its intensity, its repetition, so that his people realized that they were rescued. They didn't escape. They didn't win. They were enslaved. They didn't beat the bad guy, but they were rescued from the bad guy so that they'll remember this great saving act forever. So, and, and they had to commemorate it with this Passover meal. Where the, where, do, you, do you remember what, what they were supposed to do? It's, it's sort of funny. Like in that, in that little bit in the Passover record, and, and it's, like, it's like, okay, this is what happened. And Moses is telling the people and the elders, like, okay, you, you, you people, remember that you've got to do this. Tomorrow night we're going to do this. And then in the middle of it, it just drops into, oh, by the way, so here's how you've got to do it. As if we're like 300 years later, just with a bunch of like instructions for Sunday night for the for the, like you know Christmas. It's like your Christmas ritual kind of thing. So when your kids ask you this, 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 because because that's what the point was. The point of the Passover ritual was so that when your kids say, "Hey, Dad, what on earth are we doing this for?" Like I don't even like bitter herbs. Like seriously, and flatbread. Like yeast is good. It's really yummy. I had some last night at the the the, the Griggs's place on the pizza. It's, it's fantastic. Remember, son. Remember, my daughter. There was that day when it looked impossible, when we were slaves, when the biggest guy in the whole world was saying, I will not let you go. And God bent that broken man to his will so that he could bring life to us and we could have freedom. So can God really save us when those ugly Philistines come to our village They could say, yes, my child. Every year we have a meal so that you'll remember, yes, he's done it before and he'll do it again. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this part of your story. We thank you for the way that you work in and amongst the realness of our world, the pain and the suffering. We're sad in some ways that you allow that to happen and there has been deeper suffering in this room than than I can fathom and far more outside of it than I know about. 
And yet, Lord, you plan and purpose to bring blessing and life to the whole world through suffering. That's what you do. And so, Lord, we just ask you, as we see ourselves in this big story, as we understand who you are, as we understand the fact that, that you are the, the biggest kid on the block and we need not be scared, as we understand that we, can, that we can trust you in your goodness, that we can trust you to bring about your plan to bring blessing in life, Father, we just ask that when we face our hard things, our scary things, that we'd go to you, that we'd know that you might not take it away, but that you will be with us through it, and you will bring life and blessing through it. Help us to see things. Help us to, to use this big story to, to zoom out our vision on our life and, and, and to be patient and steadfast, to see things from with a longer view so that we might know, look back not on, for us, the Passover, but that we might look back on Jesus, on him defeating not just an agent of death, but death itself, so that we would know that even that that dark enemy who casts a shadow over everything is a defeated one and so that we don't need to fear anything but we can consider ourselves your children and put our trust in you and we pray that we do that this week in jesus name amen